Genesis 25 is where we are going to start. Genesis 25, we had walked through every book of the Bible for quite some time and finished that. And so now we are on a campaign to look at different characters in the Bible. Um, God gives us His Word, not only reveal Himself to us, but to reveal things about us that we may not be aware of, that God sees, that God understands. Also revealing His will to us. And throughout the pages of Scripture, we have different characters, uh, men and women, that we get to see examples from their life or lessons from their life or teachings from their life that could be applicable to us on how we should, how God reacts to them is how God could react to us and how they react to God is how many ways that we should react to God. And there are character lessons for us to look at for models and examples because regardless of what Satan tries to tell us, that there are things in our lives that we may be facing today that no one else faces or no one knows what it's like or no one else has any idea yet when we go to the Bible they're all over through scripture where you're seeing that people are facing the same trials, the same struggles, the same um, hiccups as we do today. Um, This morning I was in 2 Kings chapter 3 in my Bible reading and uh, me and my oldest three boys were all in the same Bible reading plan and so I know what they're reading and they know what I'm reading and right towards the end of 2 Kings chapter 3 Um, one of the kings of the Moabites was in a battle. The battle was not going well, so as an attempt to try to appease their false gods, he took his oldest son and sacrificed his oldest adult son to try to appease the gods to turn the course of the battle around. And so this morning before I left to go to work, I told Eli, um, as long as I have a good day, he's safe. But if I don't have a good day, he, he might be in danger. You know, because you just and you and you read through things in scripture that you may go, Well, I've never read that before, but as you're going through scripture, you see that there's always examples, there's always characters, there's always people that you can look at and go, I'm glad I don't have it as bad as them. Like uh, Saturday, I'm coming home from youth camp and I'm driving that school bus and I'm thinking to myself, You know what? This was not on the job description that the search committee gave to me whenever I was talking to them three years ago that to ride the bus back from Tallahena. But then I'm thinking to myself, at least I'm not Miss Scotty. <laughs> And missing half of my school, you know, sitting at the house. And so I'm always thinking, you know, there's always somebody that you can look to as a model of how to persevere, an example of how to be faithful, or someone that you can look at to give you some encouragement when you're facing the trials and struggles. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the character of Jacob. We looked at Adam, we looked at Eve, we looked at Abraham, we looked at Isaac, um, we looked at some of these, we looked at Noah. And so we're just kind of walk starting in Genesis 1, and we're just kind of taking some of these chronologically. And so tonight, we are in, or on the person of Jacob. Now what we've been doing um, from the very start is we've been asking three questions of all these characters. First question is, is who were they? Second question is, is why do we know them? And the third question is, what lessons do they teach us? So what I'm asking about is when we think about who were they is more of a biography, maybe more of a, uh, you're going to do their obituary, if you will, just kind of the facts, the information about who they are. And then asking the question, why do we know them? Maybe some of the stories or maybe some of the things that we remember them, the Sunday school stories that we know them by. 
by. And the last one is, is what do we see from the course of their life that is an example or a lesson or a testimony to us? So Genesis 25 is where you really pick up the story of where Jacob is introduced in the story of Scripture. So, starting with the very first question of who was he, give me some ideas, and I'm not asking about what he did or why we would know him, but give me some factual information of what do we know about Jacob. He was a twin. Alright, very good. Older twin, younger twin? Younger twin, alright? Son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham. That's right. So son of Isaac, grandson of Abraham, made me kind of think. Um, do you remember how old Abraham was when he had Isaac? Anybody remember? A hundred? Okay. He was a hundred. Does anybody remember how old Isaac was when he had Jacob and Esau? Sixty. Sixty. Alright. Do you anybody remember how old Abraham was when he died? 175. So the reason why I think about that is, is so Jacob and Esau had 15 years. Now we don't know exactly, we don't have the street address, so I can't tell you according to Apple Maps where Abraham lived and where Isaac lived. But you would just think in a family, there's not a lot of people on the face of the earth at that point. You would think they had connection and you think they had some type of a communication. But so for the first 15 years of Jacob's life, um, Abraham was still alive. And I, I found myself this week pondering, I wonder what those conversations were like. So in my mind and, and the way that I think about it, so just imagine, you know, Jacob spending time with his grandpa Abraham and Abraham's telling him, hey, I remember the time that I took your son to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him. Or I remember the time that I fell into the deep trance and in my vision I saw the, the animal carcasses being separated and God in the smoking pot walking between them. Or, or I remember going down to the Pharaoh of Egypt and telling that your grandma was my sister. I mean, you just imagine some of the stories that Abraham might have shared with Jacob. So, that's how sometimes my mind works. Alright? Give me some other information about Jacob. Close, Joseph did, his son. But that's that'll come that'll come later on. Got cheated out of her and they gave him Leah instead. So then he had to work another seven years to get Rachel. Right. Yep. Leah must have worked out she had supposed to be sons. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Something else we see is how that dynamic worked between Isaac and Rebecca and Esau. And Jacob, in fact, I think it's there in chapter 25 and verse 28, it talks about the fact that um, Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so it sets us up in this dynamic from almost the very beginning that there was favoritism at play. So when you think about Jacob, yes, he's the son of Isaac and Rebekah, grandson of Abraham, the brother of Esau, but also he is, you know, kind of the favorite. You know, Esau was the hairy one. He was the outdoorsman. He was the hunter. And he was favored by his dad, Isaac. But the text kind of indicates that Jacob was the 
sissy. I don't want to say maybe sissy isn't a fair word, but he was smooth-skinned. He probably was a little bit more soft-spoken. Um, he was not nearly as masculine as Esau was. Um, he liked to sit in the house and cook instead of going outside and hunting. And so there was some favoritism at play there. And just like Granny said, um, when he gets over to his uncle, it would be his uncle. Yeah, when he gets to Uncle Laban, he ends up marrying Leah and Rachel. And who else does he end up marrying? May I remember? The maidservants. You might remember their names. Uh, this will be chapter 29, chapter 30 if you want to cheat. Chapter 29, chapter 20, 30 if you want to cheat. And go there and look. And so as the story lays out, and we'll see this here in a minute. So as he works for the seven years, since he's going to marry Rachel, um, and we'll see this in a little bit, um, a little trick happens. He wakes up in the morning and he had not consummated the marriage with Rachel. He actually consummated it with Leah. Then he works for another seven years, or he works for about a was it, month, two, a week, or whatever it was, marries Rachel with the agreement he's going to work for another seven years. But then later on, when the ladies go barren, that is when what, Leah, I believe, gives him Bilma, her maidservant, gives him Bilma, and then Rachel, not wanting to be outdone by older sister, gives him Zilpha. And so you now have Jacob, and he is roughly eight years into this new land, and he has now eight wives that he is responsible for, and eight wives that he's taken care of, right? Okay, so talked about his marriage. Um, children. What do we know about his children? How many children did he have? Okay. Does he have more than that? Because see, sometimes we see in Scripture where it'll say, you know, they had those children, like especially in the genealogy early in Genesis, we'll talk about they had this one child, because that's how they're marking the genealogy, but it'll say they had other sons and daughters. So we know that it's written down that he had the 12 sons, and we know it's written down that he had the one daughter whose name was, do I remember? Dinah, okay, Dinah. This is uh, chapter 30 and verse 21. Verse 21, Leah, afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Do we have any other record of Jacob having any other children? So he had 12 sons and a daughter. Do we have any record of having any more? We don't. Now, does that mean that he didn't? No, it doesn't say anywhere that he did not have any more children, but it doesn't give us any indication that he did have more children. So I think 13 is a nice, odd number. So I think 13 is kind of where he's at. Um, But we don't have any other record that he had any other children besides the 13. So we know who his parents were, grandparents, um, brother of Esau, the favorite, favored by mom, which is that's a family dynamic, husband of four women. He was the father to 12 sons and one daughter. What else do you know that might be pertinent when it comes to just factual information about Jacob? Well, he was good at livestock and he did a great job raising sheep. Yes, and we're going to get to that in a second about some of the deceit that is going on of, of why we know him. Yes, he was a he was a geneticist. He did? That's right. That's right. 
Okay, so then let's let's switch gears to why do we know about Jacob? So we talked about maybe some factual data, but why do we know about Jacob? Now, we're going to get to the deceit in a minute because that's most of the time what we think about when we think about Jacob. But I want to remind you to begin with, when you go back to chapter 25 and verse 23, that Jacob was the one that was identified as the line of the promise. So you go all the way back to Genesis 12, and God says to Abram, Abram, I'm going to set you apart, and your descendants I'm going to make into a mighty nation. They're going to be as mighty as the stars in the heaven, and they're going to be as mighty as the sand on the seashore. But then that lineage is then tracked through where it goes from Abram, then it goes to Isaac. And so you see this there in chapter 25 and verse 23, because Rebekah is having all kinds of problems in pregnancy, and she goes to choir the Lord, and the Lord tells her, two nations are in your womb, the two peoples from within you shall be divided, the one shall be stronger, and the other, the older, shall serve the younger. So the God tells Rebecca right there at the very beginning, hey, the younger one, which is Jacob, he is going to be the one that is going to carry that lineage. He is going to carry that line. And if you look down there in chapter 25 and verse 23, like Peter already talked about, that there was another season or a time whenever Esau comes in and he's hungry and Jacob's sitting there over the stove and he's just cooking that nice soup and Esau and him make a deal that he sells Esau sells his birthright to Jacob in exchange for the stew and so you see not only Rebekah being given the promise that Jacob is going to be the one that's going to carry the, carry the promise from God but then Isaac turns over that birthright over to Jacob and then you get over to um, chapter 27 and verse 27 and now you see we'll we'll come back to the trickery but Isaac even blesses Jacob says in verse 27 so he came near and kissed him so Jacob came near Isaac and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said and so you see this Jacob is being identified as being that that person that that promise from God to Abram through down to the descendants that Jacob can be the one that is going to carry that line. So one of the reasons why we know who Jacob is is because God used him to perpetuate the promise of setting apart a people. The reason why we know of Jacob is because God chose to use that line instead of Esau because the descendants of Esau are known as who? Edomites. That's right. This is southern Israel. So you have the Edomites. The reason why we don't talk about the Edomites very much today and we talk about the Israelites is because God used Jacob through that lineage. Now do you know why we call them Israelites? Anybody have an idea? Okay, so if, oh, and I'm kind of doing this on the fly and I shouldn't do that. Alright, so at some point they are coming back, and I'm going to find it for you. At some point they are coming back, chapter 35, as Jacob is leaving Laban and coming back, at one point he meets God and God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. So when they then go into Egypt, going to meet Joseph during the famine, where Jacob slash Israel then later dies, the reason why they call the descendants the Israelites is because they all are descendant from Israel. So Jacob was renamed by God as Israel. So that's why we talk about the Israelites and not the Edomites, because God chose Jacob as that promised line. Where did you say that was? What? Where did you say that was? Genesis 35. Is that where Jacob wrestled with God? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. 
Yes, ma'am. And there's two, there's two primary stories that you'll see about Jacob that I'm going to try to stay away from tonight. And that is the wrestling with God and the ladder, the, the dream of the ladder. Because both of those still leave me with a lot more questions than answers. So I'm going to try to, to catch all the rest of them. And hopefully you won't hold my tail feathers to the fire on those two if you're, uh, if you're being nice. So uh, we think about he's Jacob being that, that line of promise. Okay, But then we also, one of the main reasons we know about Jacob is because of his deceitfulness or his trickery or his cup and balls, whatever it might be, that the, 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 the uh, shenanigans that he pulled. So go back to chapter 27 in Genesis and let's just kind of walk through. Now this is not going to be an exhaustive list of the things that he did, but let's just look at his deceit, how he was then later deceived, and then how his children then followed in their father's footsteps by, by perpetuating that deceit. So if you're in chapter 27, look down there at verse 30 chapter 27 and verse 35 the context of the story Isaac said to Esau go out and hunt some game and that way you can come back I'll eat your game and I will bless you Rebecca overheard it she goes and they craft an idea Jacob goes in there and says as an imposter says that he is Esau tricks Isaac into believing that Jacob was Esau Isaac then blesses Jacob in the blessing that he was going to give to Esau. And then it says down there, uh, verse 32, I'm going to pick it up in chapter 27 of verse 32. So I, so Esau comes back in from the field. Jacob had just walked out, got his blessing. Here comes Esau. He says, all right, dad, here I am. But dad's eyes were so bad, dad was confused. And it says in verse 32, his father Isaac asked to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Esau trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. So I'm going to assume that this isn't the first time that Jacob had practiced some deceit. Uh, maybe he learned it from his father. Maybe he learned it from his mother. Maybe he from, learned it from the kids at the playground. I'm not sure. Maybe he learned it from his grandfather. Came claiming that Sarai was his wife or claiming that she was his sister twice when he's actually his wife. I don't know how it all worked out. But you see one of the first big instances of Jacob coming in and practicing this deceit. Well... That's kind of one thing when Jacob does it to somebody else, but then what happens when someone else does it back to Jacob? So then you try, you, you, you move forward in the, the story over to chapter 29. Jacob flees from where Isaac and Rebekah are at. They send him away to go find a wife with Rebekah's brother, Laban. He shows up there with Laban, um, hanging out with Laban. Says Laban's like, well, won't you just work for me? You can just hang out with me. He sees Leah, the older sister, Rachel, the younger sister, and he says, I want to marry her. They make a deal. You work for seven years, then you can marry her. So he worked for seven years, and it says there in chapter 29 and verse 20, so Jacob Jacob served him seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So then it comes the wedding night, and as the wedding night uh, proceeds on, it says there in chapter 29 and verse 23... 
But in the evening, he, this is Laban, took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. So pretty much he goes in and he consummates the marriage with Leah. The next morning he wakes up and he's like, eat good. That was not what I was planning on. This was... I'm glad you brought that up because I have, I've, I've, I've had so many questions about, you know, it tells you in the text that her eyes were weak. But it doesn't say anything about Jacob's eyes being weak. And I just kind of wondered to myself, how in the world do you, like, not realize there's a difference? Yeah, you got the wrong one. I, I don't know. I, I, there's a lot of questions. It's a long time. His vision was just... I don't know. I I just think to myself, I mean, even talking, I mean, if you are having, even if there's just some words being exchanged, you're going to be able to tell the difference between one person and the other. You spent seven years with them. You spent seven years with both sisters with the intention of marrying the prettier one. You spent seven years with them. You're going to know the sound of their voices are different. You're going to know body composition is different. I just... For me, I mean, it's not really polite to talk about a company like this, but I mean, it's just like, how could you not have known that that was the sister? But maybe he was drunk, whatever it was. So Laban um, pulls the same deceit card on Jacob, right? So it says down there in chapter 28, Jacob did so. So he goes back to Laban, says that's not that was not the deal. Laban says we can't let the younger one marry before the older one marry. So how about you uh, give the older one her week, and then I'll let you marry the younger one, and then you work for seven more years. So it says down there in verse 28 of chapter 29, Jacob did so and completed the set, or Jacob completed her week. Then Laban gave her daughter Rachel to be his wife, and so. Can you imagine, and this is another thing that I think about, can you imagine being Leah? This guy works for seven years. Got the Twitter pated going on for the sister. And then the next morning, he's not happy. He's trying to go back and return the item back to the customer service counter saying this isn't what I paid for. And Laban goes, well, let her have her week of being the only wife in the house and then I'll let you have the younger sister. And then all of a sudden, now the younger sister shows up and Leah knows he didn't want me. (laughs) He didn't want me from the jump, but now she is committed. And I think, what a miserable way for her to be in knowing that she is always second. But she was rewarded. She was rewarded. Seven of these children? Yes. Yes. She was heavily rewarded. But at the same time, it's just, I think, how how pitiful that is for Leah always knowing that he didn't want me. And even the next morning, he didn't want me. I mean, it's like, I, I just feel so terrible for her. So you see Jacob, okay, he deceives his brother. He deceives his father. And now Laban is then deceiving him. And you might say, oh, poor Jacob. And then you're like, no, buddy, that is what you get. So you, trans, you, you, you move forward into chapter 30. So he's now served seven years for the two women. So now you get to the end of the 14 years and him and Laban have another conversation. And he says, I want you to keep working for me. And Jacob says, well, that's fine, but I want to get something in exchange. What do you want? And he said, I want a stake in the livestock. And if you look there, uh, this would be chapter 30 and verse 32. Jacob is speaking and he says, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep, every black lamb and spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So he says, hey, you know, these particular goats that have this particular marking, these particular sheep and goats, that's what I want. And so when I work for you, whatever sheep or goats that have these color markings, those will be mine, the rest will be yours. Laban's like, 
Fine. Great. Verse 35. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were stripped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, every land that was black, and he put them in charge of his sons. And he put them a three days deal away. So you can imagine Jacob and Laban, they make a deal. Jacob says, this will be my wage in animals. Laban's like, great. And then he takes all the ones that are going to be Jacob's and says, moves them three days away. He's like, you know, sorry. If you do very much when it comes to animal breeding, you'll know that some of those markings are genetic and some of those markings can be dominant, some of those can be recessive. And so it's like, if all you get is pink and purple goats and sheep, it's going to be hard to have speckled and spotted sheep if all you're having is pink and purple sheep. So Jacob gets deceived. So what does Jacob do? Verse 37. So then he takes fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled the white streaks from them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. So Jacob's like, okay, you take all the seed stock that I'm going to use to get my wages. I'll show you. And then he takes some sticks. And he sets some sticks up, and whatever, for whatever reason, when they're mating and they're looking at the sticks, and that causes the offspring to have the color marking that was agreed upon that would then become Jacob's possession. Right? I don't know how that worked, it, but... God was favoring him. That's right. And then you look down in verse 41. It says, Whenever the stronger their flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the toss before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger would be Jacob's. I don't... I don't know as much as some people in this room when it comes to sheep and goats, but I understand, from what I understand, you know, goats get sick a lot easier than maybe cattle or maybe sheep, and so they're a lot more susceptible. And so Jacob's sitting there going, you know what? You trick me, I'll trick you back. I will breed within front of these sticks, and then the weaker stock, the the, the uh, more susceptible to disease and, and ailment and lameness, those will be yours. I'll have the stronger, the uh, uh, more vigor, and I will have the more robust bus livestock. And so you see this deceit and it's going back and forth and back and forth. And then let's look down there at chapter 31. So all this deceit's happening. It's about six years down the road and Jacob's just amassing a massive amount of wealth. And Laban's sons start whispering and start saying, he's, t- he's stealing all of our dad's stuff. So, it tells you down there in chapter 31 and verse 17. So Jacob arose, set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, and all the livestock and his possession that he had inquired um, in Padam Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. And so Laban, if you read... The, in the previous passage, Laban is gone shearing sheep. And so it's like almost like we would think of in the middle of the night. Jacob jumps up, grabs all the stuff, and leaves. Deceiving Laban. Well, you know the story. Laban comes back. Laban tracks him down. They have a little come to Jesus meeting. And then they go on about their ways. Then you get to chapter 33. More deceit is afoot. Because in chapter 33 is when Jacob is reunited with 
Esau. Now, remember, it's been 20 years since Jacob and saw Esau, but here comes this reuniting, comes back. So in chapter 33, um, and this is going to be around in verse 15 or 16, Esau and Jacob meet for the first time in 20 years. Jacob is scared, thinking... Older brother is going to pound me into the dirt. He's going to kill me. Uh, Esau had showing grace, showing mercy. And it says there, um, verse 15, So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau said, hey, you've got all these flocks and all these possessions. Why don't you come back to my house in Seir and come hang out with me? In fact, I'll even give you some help because I can move faster than you. Jacob's like, no, brother, you go on ahead. So in verse 16, So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. And therefore the name of that place is called Succoth. So Jacob and Esau, they meet. And and Esau's like, hey brother, come on to my place. Come to my area. And Jacob's like, great. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. That's good. We'll have a hot dog. We'll, We'll do some s'mores. We'll catch up, play some board games. Oh, it'll be awesome. And then as soon as Esau leaves, Jacob's like, no way, Jose. Esau goes that way. Jacob goes that way. Now here, in my mind, I think Esau had to have come to the conclusion at some point, Jacob's not coming. <laughs> I mean, so does, does Esau then send a text? I mean, where are you at? Does, 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 he send, does he send an email? Like, why haven't you shown up? I mean, it doesn't tell us anymore in the story about what happened. But I can just imagine the deceit when you already were scared of your brother and now you're like, I'm not, I'm not going to his house. I'm not showing up with him. So more and more deceit. A couple more places. Uh, chapter 34. Verse 25. They get down there, um, Jacob and his family. Um, they get down to a place called Shechem. And in Shechem, the guy in charge of the place is called Hamor. Hamor, Hamor has a son named Shechem. Shechem sees Dinah, finds her to be incredibly attractive, decides to rape and defile Dinah. Jacob hears about it, but... His boys are currently out in the field, so when the boys show back up, Jacob and the boys then go to confront Hamor and his son Shechem for what they've done to their sister Dinah. So when they come into this meeting, and you're reading about this in in the preceding verses there in chapter 34, but they come in, and Shechem's like, hey, I want to marry Dinah. And they're like, no, we're not really sure about that. And so then Hamor, the dad, comes in and says, what is it going to take for you to give your sister slash daughter to my son? So they make an agreement. They say, all right, if all the men in the entire place of Shechem, if they all get circumcised, then we will be willing to live here, intermarry with you, and we will let her stay as your wife. So I don't know how they did this because I would not be as a citizen of Shechem. I would be a hard sell on this. But Hamor and the son Shechem go around all the men in the community and say, hey, guys. Get circumcised, and then we will be able to do trade and intermarry with these people. For whatever reason, all the rest of the men in Shechem said, cool, they'll do that. Except for chapter 34 and verse 25. On the third day, when they were sore, talking about all the men in Shechem, when they were sore, the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while I felt secure and killed all the males. More deceit. 
more trickery. Can you imagine? You're one of the citizens. I mean, let's just say you're the plumber in Shechem. Just, just a simple-minded, blue-collar plumber. And here comes the governor and says, Hey, I want you to get circumcised. And it gives you this big plan of why it would make sense and why it would profit you. And so you, as a lonely old plumber, just says, Okay, I'll get circumcised. And here it is on the third day. And you're not doing that great. And you're not feeling that great. And then here comes busting in Simeon and Levi. And you die. Not because of your sin. <laughs> But you die because of the sin of the governor's son, Shechem. I mean, you talk about a double, a double punch in the face. <laughs> Get circumcised, three days later, now you're going to die. But it's that trickery. It is that deceit that continues on and on and on. One last place. Chapter 37. We see this deceit continuing on. And this will be down there in chapter 37 and look at verse 31. Joseph, the next to youngest son, has some dreams. Brothers don't like it. Gets in the middle of the field. He's daddy's favorite at this point. Has the coat of many colors. You've heard this in Sunday school. The brothers take him. They sell him into slavery. But now they got this coat. What do we do with it? So it says in verse 31, Then they took Joseph's robes and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they set, sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it's your son's robe or not. So he's got ten of his sons then bring him this robe and say, does this belong to Joseph? And so Jacob is left assuming that Joseph is now dead, killed by a wild beast, and he goes into a extended time of mourning, mourning the death of his son Joseph. And all along, the ten brothers knew the truth, and they watched day after day after day of their dad grieve, and their dad be sorrowful, and their dad, can you imagine sitting around the table, and their dad starts talking about the memories of Joseph, and they see all this stuff, and those ten sons sit there, continuing, perpetuating that state of deceit. And so when you think about why do we know who Joseph, or why do we know who Jacob is, because all throughout his life you see deceit after deceit after deceit. Whether he is deceiving, whether he is being deceived, or those descendants of him are then continuing that practice of deceit over and over and over again. There's another reason why we know who Jacob is, not just because... That promise through his lineage, not just because of the deceit that we all see throughout Scripture, but despite that, he had a lot of favor from God. Go back to chapter 28. And it says in chapter 28 and verse 14, God is speaking to Jacob. And he says to Jacob in 28 and 14, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and the south. And in you and off your, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God says, I will show you favor, and I will extend my favor to you. Then you get down to chapter 30. And in chapter 30 and verse 43, Talking about Jacob. It says, Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels, and donkeys. And 
then you keep going. And you get down here to chapter 32. And he's almost ready to get ready to meet Esau. And so what Jacob decides to do is he's going to grease the palm a little bit. So he sets aside this massive gift to set in front of him to give to his brother as a bit of a peace offering. But listen to the size of the gift. Verse 30, or chapter 32, and look at verse 13. He took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 Jews, 20 rams, 30 milking camels, their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. And that is not his entire estate. That's not all that he owned. That was a gift that he set aside for Esau. So you can imagine, well, how much stuff does this guy got? If he's carving that out as a peace offering, as a gift. He had that much possessions. Hard to put a dollar value on it, but that is how they valued stuff in that time. The favor of God was upon him. Now I look at that and I go, why in the world would the favor of God be upon him? Does God not know about the deceit? Does God not know about the trickery? Does God not know about the shenanigans that Jacob did? Yes! But is the favor of God still on Jacob? Yes. Why? God's good. He's merciful, right? And that's and God said, Jacob, I will bless you. I will not bless you because you do everything right. I will bless you because it is me that grants the favor. It is me that grants the blessing. So go down, uh, all the way to your right to Genesis chapter 46. And you see this favor of Jacob. This, this jumps a lot of time, years. Joseph's now in Egypt. He's revealed himself to his now 11 brothers. He says, go get my dad. The famine is severe. So then they bring Joseph, or they bring Jacob and all the house of Jacob into Egypt. Now, this is going to add in Joseph, his wife, and his children. But it says in chapter 46 and verse 27, And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were seventy. So if you think back to when the story began, when Jacob is running away from Esau, running away for his life, you have one man. He runs to Laban. Gets married a couple times, has a few kids, gets some possessions. Those kids have more kids. And the next thing you know, he is then heading into Egypt with a household of 70 people. You don't have to turn there, but let me just read to you out of Exodus chapter 12. So 430 years later, when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, it says, verse 37, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. It's the favor of God. So God said whenever Jacob is on the run um, from Esau, headed to Laban, God meets him that night. He sees the vision of the ladder. And God says, I will make your descendants numerous. And it goes from Jacob, one guy, to 70 coming into Egypt, 430 years later, over 600,000 just men are leaving Egypt because of the favor of God upon his life. So why do we know about Jacob? Because despite his deceit, God still showed favor to Jacob. So that then takes us to ask the question, so what lessons does Jacob then teach us? Any thoughts? 
can't see how your sins are going to affect future generations. Right? He doesn't judge us against someone else. He judges us against his standards. Yes, ma'am. <coughs> Shows him that he loves us. Yes. That's right. That's right. Well, I put down on my notes, God uses messy people. You know, sometimes you hear people say, well, I can't, I can't go to church or I can't be involved with the church until I get all this stuff cleaned up in my personal life. And they start to think and this idea that everything has to be Mr. Clean, Spick and Span on their personal side before they can come to the church. And the problem is, is they're never going to be Spick and Span on the personal side before they come to church. And, you know, God is in the business of using messy people. I'm not saying that He wants us to be messy. I'm not saying that He wants us and He revels and He delights in the fact of my dumb decisions or your your sin but does that mean that my dumb decisions or your sin that God can't then use that for his purpose and use that for his glory no because God uses messy people you go all throughout the story of Jacob and it's like Jacob one moment after another moment after another moment use those opportunities to lie cheat defraud, deceive, whatever it was, and God still uses messy people. That is right. That is right. But there are some people in this world that think God can't use me because of what I've done. What I'm doing. Yes. And sometimes we think we have to be perfect before God can use us. Did Jacob show any remorse? I don't, I don't see where, like, for instance, Laban. So Laban's out sharing the sheep. Jacob gets up, takes the whole family and leaves. Laban's upset. Laban's like, I, I would have liked to have said goodbye to my daughters. I would have liked to have said goodbye to my grandchildren. I would have liked to have said goodbye to you. I would at least like to have an opportunity to say bye. You spent 20 years. Everything that you know, you came to me as a single man and you're leaving as a very wealthy man and I don't think that's fair. And... She got out the household gods, and Laban was accusing him of telling the household gods when Laban couldn't find it. It tells in the text. Yeah, she's sitting on him. It says in the text that once they couldn't find him, then Jacob starts getting mouthy. This is my paraphrase. Starts getting mouthy with Laban about, hey, yeah, you accused me falsely, and blah, 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 blah. And he starts running his mouth to Laban about why, how dare Laban come and mess with him. And I'm like, you're not even going to say sorry? You're not even going to say I was scared? Nothing. And then Rachel, I mean, he had to have find out, found out eventually that Rachel had the house of gods that was under the saddle. She's sitting on the saddle on the tent, says the way of the woman is with me. I mean, she was pregnant. What, you know, what is Jacob doing? I mean, I just kind of wonder, like, Jacob never says sorry. <laughs> he doesn't box him up, UPS him back to Laban. I mean, he doesn't do anything. I, I, but I don't ever see him where he shows remorse. But God uses messy people. Well, he turned into Israel, which is messy people. <laughs> That's right. Another thing I wrote down was that God keeps His word. And when God tells Abram, I'm going to do this, and even despite people looking like they're going to mess it up, 
that they're going to take it off the rails, God still keeps His Word. Even when we do not keep our Word to God, God keeps His Word to us. And so, when you follow this story, and and, and you get back over to Genesis chapter 25, and Rebecca hears the story that this is what's going to happen, and then you get over there to... Genesis uh, 27, 28, I'm sorry, Genesis 28, and Jacob leaves, and you're like, well, how is God going to use this? Um, and God had all the opportunities in the world based upon main standards to go, you know what, I was going to use you, but you know what, three strikes, you're out, I'm going to go find somebody else. But yet, God keeps His Word. And the last one, the last one that struck me that I wrote down, Was that God has a plan for us. You go all the way back to Genesis 25. And Rebecca's sitting there going. Why am I having such pregnancy issues? And when when she goes to the Lord. The Lord says that you have two different nations inside of you. They will be divided. They're going to continue to fight. And he says. So God already has this determined. Even when Jacob and Esau are in the womb. God already knows what's going to happen with Jacob and Esau. He has had a plan from that very moment. Does that mean that God knew what everything that Jacob was going to do? I think so. So God's got a plan for us. That's right. So if God can have... No matter what we do, we still got that plan. That's right. So like even if, even if, you know, you may not see the plan, even though if you may not see how God is going to work this out or God is going to handle this or how these things are going to come together, God does. God God knows exactly His plan for your life. God knows His plan for my life. God has a plan for all of us. So it's not one of those things that we're going around and we're just saying, hey, you know what? I don't know what God wants from me or I don't know what God's doing in my life or we feel like we're wandering aimlessly. God had a plan for Jacob even when Jacob was still in the womb. And according to Psalm 139 and in Jeremiah, God has a plan for us in this room. Now, we might be like Jacob and we might try to see how many wrenches we can throw in the gears and try to say, well, God has this plan, but I'm going to do this over here and God has that plan. And we try to take it off course, if you will. God still has a plan. And God still has a way of accomplishing His plan and accomplishing His purpose in our lives. And you look at Jacob, and I see an example of a man that had numerous opportunities, and it seemed like to me he sought for numerous opportunities to derail what God was trying to do. And yet God still showed His favor on Jacob, He still kept His word to Jacob, and God still, His plan for Jacob still came to fruition. So the question for then me, and I'm not saying for you, but the question then for me is, is not the question of what do I want to do with my tomorrow, but what does God want me to do with my tomorrow? Because I may have a plan for what I want to do with my tomorrow, but God has a plan, and God had a plan longer, longer, longer than I have had a plan, and God's plan will always be better than my plan. His plan will be to make us more in the image of Christ. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so we 
go to bed at night and you think, all right, God, what's your plan for me tomorrow? Now, in our humanity, we'll trip over ourselves enough. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we will... And we will definitely not. Do, we, we will definitely have moments that we don't look like we're on the same plan as God. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely have those times, but at the same time, you know, God had a plan for what we were supposed to do today. God has a plan for what we're supposed to do tomorrow. God had a plan for us since before we even knew who God was. God has a plan for us, and you know, so it's not a matter of going. Well, I need to sit here and, and plan out my week. It's more of a saying, God, what do you want to do with my week? Now I realize there's times that you feel like you've been put on mute by God or God has you on hold. Sometimes that can be difficult. I get that. I understand that. And sometimes you're looking at this going, God, I don't know how this is your plan. And God, I don't understand it. And God, I don't agree with it. And God, I don't like it. And you have all these things. But looking at it from the bigger view, God had a plan. or Jacob's leaving Isaac on his way to Laban. I can imagine if you said, all right, Jacob, how is all this going to work out? Jacob's like, I have no idea. But then you come back and you look at it from a 50-year view, and God had a plan. My my failure is that so many times I look at things in hours and days when God is looking at it in decades and centuries. So I get impatient, or I think that somewhere God has forgotten, or I think at some point God has made a mistake. Or I think at some point, I'm going to step in and I'm going to grab a hold of that steering wheel. And God um, has His way of bringing us back to where He wants us to be. God has a plan. What other thoughts? Any others?